So I want to ask you a question as we get started. When life gets hard, where do you turn? What do you do? There's a lot of things that people do when life gets just kind of out of control, unmanageable, difficult, frustrating, discouraging. Some people will self-medicate. They'll just kind of drink. They'll do drugs. Some people will just get busy and just say, I'm just going to stay busy so that I don't have any quiet times or I don't think about it and I don't think, reflect upon life and how hard it is. There's a whole bunch of things that people do to cope. And what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at something that Peter talks about. And he talks about a time of refreshing. And it goes very deep. It goes to our very soul. So I want you to join us as we look at Acts chapter 3. So whether you're in-house or online, we just want you to join us. Whether you're joining us live online or after the fact, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 3. Because one of the things that's really important is that you are able to see the text that I'm looking at and that we're all looking at. And you can say, yeah, I see that there. Uh, That's really important. Now let me talk about kind of what I'm doing in the style of teaching that I do. I do expository preaching. And I know that has a lot of different uh, ideas out there from going verse to verse to verse to, but it's a, it's a very, it, it's a very kind of a wide thing. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take Acts chapter 3, and we're going to talk about that chapter. And you're going to, whether you know anything at all about Acts chapter 3 or quite a bit about Acts chapter 3, you're going to leave here today and you're going to understand a little bit about what's happening in the book of Acts at this point what is going to happen, and you're going to see some, some principles here for your life from God's Word. Though this book was not written to us, it was written, uh, it was written for us. So we can, get, we can go, grow from it. We can uh, learn some things from it. So that's what we're going to do today. But I want to start by reading the first 11 verses, and then we'll talk about it, and then we'll, t- we'll draw some application. So here we go. Acts chapter 4, verse, excuse me, 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple uh, at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, by the right hand, He helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to be sitting begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running into the place called Solomon's Colonnade. All right, 
couple observations I want to draw from this passage. The first one is that Peter and John are on their way to the temple for the regular prayer. And the regular prayer times were nine in the morning and three in the afternoon. So they're going in the afternoon time for prayer. They encounter this man who's crippled. He is crippled from birth. And he's probably, as you read more of the story, because this story continues, he's probably been crippled for 40 years or more. So he, he has been this way. He has been brought to the temple gate so he can beg because this is the only way that he can make a living, pay for food and stuff. So he has friends that put him there and Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now, I don't know if this story is true, but it was alleged that uh, Thomas Aquinas uh, once called on Pope Innocent uh, which while he was uh, counting a large sum of money, the Pope was, and he said, he said, you see, Thomas, said the Pope, the church can no longer say silver and gold, I have none. True Holy Father, Thomas said, and neither can she say, arise and walk. <laughs> That's uh, quite a, a condemnation. This is kind of what's going on outside the temple. A place where there should be freedom, where there should be joy and happiness, and there's legalism, and there's religion, and there's rules that are binding. The other thing I want you to see is, so all the people are in the temple courts. They see this guy. I mean, you can't, you, you can't go through the beautiful gate without seeing this guy begging for food. And they've seen him year after year, day after day, and now he's dancing. He's jumping around. He's, and then they're going, is that the guy? Is that Johnny? Is that him? I don't know if his name was Johnny, but let's just call him Johnny, all right? But, you know, this is him, right? Isn't that him? He looks different because he's standing up. He's not just standing. He's jumping. He's praising. He's doing all these crazy things. And so, People see him, and then, then he kind of connects, like he's like, a, he's like hooked on to Peter and John, and they go, they walk up to Peter and John, they run up to him, and they think Peter and John are the reason that he's healed. And so Peter is going to take the rest of the chapter, and he's going to use it as an opportunity to point them to the one who truly has healed, and it's Jesus. Okay, that's what they're going to do. That's what Peter's going to do in the rest of the chapter. Now, one of the other things I want you to see, and this is kind of where the book of Acts is going to go. So we looked at the day of Pentecost the last couple of weeks. We talked about the birth of the church. We talked about the speaking in tongues and what the early church did and 3,000 were added and God was adding daily to the church. That's the end of chapter 2. Now we come to chapter 3. We have this story and it just is like, okay, so Peter and John went to pray and this guy got healed and that's it. No, there's something really much deeper going on here in the book of Acts. What you're going to see here is the healing of this man should have been celebrated by the religious establishment, but it wasn't. In fact, this is going to bring Peter and John in direct conflict with the religious establishment. They're going to bring them in, and they're going to tell them to knock it off, and they're going to kind of call them to the carpet, and they're going to say, we don't do these kind of things around here, okay? That's what they're going to do, all right? 
And that's going to have implications for us as we go there. But I just want you to see that persecution is going to begin. We're going to start to see the persecution kind of amp up against the followers of the way. That's what they were called. They were first called the followers of the way. Why were they called that? Because Jesus was what? The way, the truth, and the life. And so they were called the followers of the way. And so this persecution is going to amp up. And what you're going to see as the chapters go is you're going to see all these Jews who became followers of Jesus in Jerusalem waiting for him to return. And all of a sudden the persecution comes to the point that now they have to leave Jerusalem, go back to their hometowns. And so you have these pods of new Jewish believers. It's mainly a Jewish church at this point. You have these pods of Jewish believers going all over the world so that when Paul, later on in the book of Acts, goes to these different cities, there's already pockets of believers there because they were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and they trusted. They were one of the 3,000. And now they've gone back to their hometowns and they've, they've, and so you'll see these pods and this is what's gonna happen. Persecution is going to spread the gospel. All right, so that's what's happening. Now let's talk about some of the lessons here because it's not just about a guy getting healed. It's not about that. So here's the first thing I want you to see, that God is doing something bigger than you think. In the healing of this man, something bigger was taking place. Yes, this man who had been lame for 40 years was healed, but there's more going on. There's more to it than that. Um, I want you, I want to read a passage from uh, Isaiah chapter 35. Listen to this passage. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Okay? So the writer of Isaiah is, is talking about a time that's coming. It's going to be a time of refreshing. It's going to be a time where there's newness and life. There's growth. There's development. And then notice what he says. This, now jump down to, ver- you don't have to jump down, but in verses 5 and 6 it says this. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Now, here's what's happening here. Isaiah prophesies that there's going to be a day where God's spirit would be poured out there would be a refreshing, there would be a renewal, there would be this newness, there would be healing, that lame people would get up and start dancing like a deer. Now I've heard that no, but nothing runs like a deer, but that's just what I've heard, okay? Sorry about that. I can't, I couldn't help myself. But here's the point. He gets up and he starts dancing like a deer. This is significant. What Peter goes on to say is, it's not about this guy getting healed. It's showing you that God's kingdom and God's spirit is coming. It is here. It is, he is healing. There's newness. His kingdom is coming. This man is just a sign of and Peter in his speech. If you read more down through the chapter, we don't have time to go there. 
basically he's going to say, he talks about the promise of Abraham and he talks about David and, and all of these promises are coming true and the prophecy of Isaiah is right before your eyes. That's his point. God, his kingdom is, is happening right here and now. And so I just want you to see that in the same way that, that Peter was trying to say, God's kingdom is being revealed. It's right here. This man is a manifestation of what can happen when God's spirit is released. The power and the presence of God's spirit is released. By the way, the same Holy Spirit that was alive in the healing of this man and involved in the healing of this man is, is, dwells in you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question. Have you lost the wonder of God? Have you lost the marvelous, awesome wonder of God in your life? The Bible says that you are the container, the temple of God. The Spirit of God dwells in you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Have you lost the wonder and, and maybe one of the things you should do today is, is say, Lord, I have, I have. I've lost the wonder of your indwelling Holy Spirit in me who made a man dance like a deer, who opened the eyes of the blind, who turned men's tongues to speaking, not just speaking, but speaking in tongues. All these things. So that's the first thing. Second lesson. God chooses to work his will through you and me. I love the phrase that somebody, I picked it up, I don't know who I picked it up from, but I picked it up a number of years ago and I love it. That God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. And I'm looking at a bunch of crooked sticks we're all crooked sticks, but God still finds a way to draw. Peter and John would say, we're nothing when the people come to him and say, man, you're something, you healed him. Peter says, no, it wasn't us. We're just crooked sticks. But God still can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. And, and that's really important for us to understand. Peter attributes that what's happening here is what God has promised that he was going to do through the ages. It's He's basically saying, Isaiah's words are being fulfilled right before your eyes. And he, he goes back and he talks about the promise of Abraham and David. And then he says this. Look at verse uh, 17 through 20 in Acts 3. He says this. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. He's talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. So his speech here in Acts chapter 2 in Acts chapter 3 is very similar to Acts chapter 2 in a sense that he basically says that God had a plan that his son would come from heaven to earth, that he would die on a cross, that he would be buried and be raised again, and that evil men would carry his perfect plan out. Crooked sticks would carry out the perfect plan of God. That's what he was saying. Now he says it in chapter 2, and he says it now in chapter 3. That's what he's saying here. He says this, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that the Messiah would suffer. And then notice what he says. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that, this is the line I would love you to underline, 
Times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Times of refreshing might come from the Lord. Times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And then he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Now what is he talking about, these times of refreshing? Think about that for a minute. So in those days, they didn't have pads. They didn't have thing, you know, pens and multitudes of pieces of kinds of paper and journals and all that stuff. They, if, if, if a few people, it wasn't a lot, but a few people would have papyri, okay? And they would have ink, but when they wrote it with the, with the ink on the papyri, it wasn't like our paper where the ink would soak in and like if you used it, it's done. You know, you can't reuse that paper. So their papyri was more like our whiteboard. We know what a whiteboard is, right? So they would write on it, but then they could wipe it off. They could clean it off and they could reuse it. And this is the phrase when he says this phrase that, um, that he would he would wipe out your sins. Peter talks about the wiping out of our sins or the cleansing of our sins. That's the idea there, that our sins are wiped out. They are cleaned out. We, we, we use the phrase, uh, we use the phrase today. We say a person has a clean slate, right? I don't know where we get that from, the Flintstones or somebody, but, um, but, but the idea there is that you, you, you're, you're, you're clean, you're forgiven, you're, you have... This is, I think the time of refreshing comes, I think a lot of people struggle with guilt. They know that in their heart and their soul, and maybe I'm talking to people right now in this audience or online, that you, you, you feel like you're not at peace with God. You feel like you've done some things, you've gone too far, that God could never forgive you that there's no hope, and I just want you to know the reason Jesus came and the reason that he got off of his throne and came and climbed up on a cross and said it is finished and was buried and rose again on the third day. The reason he did all that was so that you could have a clean slate. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as wool. Paul says in Romans, he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the refreshing. One of the things we need to know is that we're at peace with the one who created and made the whole universe and made us into his image. That we have this peace with God that passes all understanding. We have to know that. And, and a lot of the world around us, is, whether they acknowledge God or not, they, there's something within their soul that says, I am not at peace with this world, with this universe, with this God. I think that's what Peter's hitting at. Now, I don't know why, but God wants to use you. You're a crooked stick and so am I. But here's the thing, God wants to use you and he wants to draw straight lines. Here's the third lesson. God is working behind the scenes in your history. The controlling point of history isn't some natural selection, it's not some evolutionary process, it is, it, is, it is God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. He's the one that's bringing history. He's unraveling, unrolling history 
to his perfect plan. And when you read Peter's speeches, his sermons, you see that basically he's saying, you know, God had a plan and evil men carried it out, but God had a plan. And, and here's, here's the problem we have. The, the point Peter's making is that God is bringing his, about his complete restoration of this world, this fallen world, and our humanity through his son, Jesus Christ. That he's working, that he's doing things, he's changing things, he's making things. Now, here's the thing. This is where we have a problem. That God isn't often on your timetable. Have you noticed that? You know, God, I need this, buy this. You know, it's like we're, we're like a boss giving an assignment to an employee. I'm going to need that by 5 o'clock tonight, God. You know, it's like God's going, excuse me? I, I thought you were clay. I'm the potter. I'm sorry. What, what's going on here? Did, did something switch while I, you know. But here's the point. God's plan may not be on your timetable, but it's always in your favor. It's not always on your timetable, but it's all, his, he's always got a plan. It's in your favor. Now, that's a hard thing to take because we don't always believe that. And I believe the source of a lot of anxiety and a lot of angst and a lot of worry. And by the way, whenever I do a, a, a blog or something like that, whenever I do it on anxiety or worry or something like that, it's like it's the most because we all struggle with worry and we all struggle with anxiety. And we all struggle with fear and all that stuff. And we worry because like we go, I got a doctor's appointment on Tuesday. What am I going to do? What if, what if he says? And you go, well, what if he... Yeah, what, what good is that going to do you today on Sunday? You know, worry about it today? That going to help you? Going to make it a good day? Let's worry about what's going to happen on, might happen on Tuesday. And that's why Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough trouble. But here's where we, here's where worry comes in. Worry and anxiety come in because we basically say, God, you're not on my timetable and that bothers me. God says, I'm not on your timetable, but I'm always in your favor. Will you just trust me with that? I, I take care of the birds. I take care of the flowers of the field. I, I got this. And you know, if you look back in your life, I've had it the whole time. I've always been there. I've always been faithful. I've never left you. I told you I'd never leave you. And I, I won't leave you in the good times. I won't leave you in the bad times. I will always be there with you. But that's the problem we have. And essentially what Peter's saying in his sermon is he's saying, God has always had a plan. Our timing for it is different. Like we were looking for a Messiah to come and throw off Rome. And we kind of had it wrong. We didn't think he was going to die, but, the, but now knowing why he had to die, we get it. We, our bigger problem, we had a bigger problem than Rome. We have this problem with sin. We have this problem with death. We have this, this problem with separation from God, so we can't have times of refreshing. We get that now, but we didn't see it then. Can you trust God with this week? Can you trust God with today? Can you just take a breath and just say, God... I have so many things in my life today that I can't control, but I'm going to leave them for you to take care of. I'll take care of the things that I can take care of. I'll do my due diligence, but in the end, God, I'm going to trust you. Because Peter says he's working out his plan. You see this guy dancing like a deer? That's a picture. 
of what's going to happen. This is kind of pulling back the shade of this new kingdom, of this kingdom of God that's happening. Here's the fourth thing. God will provide times of refreshing for those who will repent. Our world is filled with people who feel a deep sense of guilt, emptiness, and fear. And too often these people, and they may be talking, I'm sure I am talking to people like that. And I'm not trying to, to diminish you or put you down. It's just what we do as human beings. We seek to escape through self-medication, through alcohol and drugs, or through sex or some other pursuit. And we're just busy doing things. We never stop, but we never reflect. And you say, I, I can't stop because if I stop and I start thinking, I, I'm going to lose it. But Jesus broke into our world to bring us hope and healing, to bring a time of refreshing. But this time of refreshing, Peter says, can only come to those who are willing to repent, to cry out for help, to realize that we're broken and that we need help. See, Jesus offers times of refreshing. He lifts the burden of sin. He gives us new life. He brings peace and purpose to our lives. He breaks the generational patterns and plants seeds of hope. He sets us free and gives us his grace and mercy. That's what he does. That's what he wants to do in your life. But this only comes to people who are willing to repent and say, I'm, I'm a mess. I need help. I can't do this alone on my own. Let me just stop and define repentance for a minute. Because we throw it around and you may be here and you go, I hear repentance, but I don't really know what it means. I know it's something I should do, but I don't know how to do it and I don't know what it means. And I re- recently heard a pastor teach that repentance is an act of opening your mind. Expanding your mind. Excuse me, I don't want to misquote quote him. Oh, I think he used both terms, so opening or expanding your mind. Um, he's absolutely wrong, and that's absolutely garbage, and it's not biblical. Um, if you want to go further in that, um, on Facebook this week or YouTube this week, I posted a video for that, short, like five minutes, seven minutes, and it actually plays it. And I almost think that this pastor sometimes goes to a passage and says, well, this is what just about everybody would interpret it to mean. Now, let me turn it on its head and try to find a way to justify that it means exactly the opposite of what it says. But here's the point. Repentance doesn't mean you expand your mind. It means that you change your mind about sin. Oftentimes, in our passage stage, you notice that repentance, Peter says, repent and turn from sin your what? Sins. And he says in the video, he says, well, it has nothing to do with sin. It's not even related to sin. Even though you can go to multiple passages where it talks about sin and repentance and sin is in the context within words of repentance and sin or repentance is tied to sackcloth and ashes, which is a time of mourning over what? Your sin, it's clearly over that. It's clearly tied to that. And here's the problem. If you want those times of refreshing, 
You have to own your sin. You have to acknowledge it. You have to say, God, I am a sinner and I desperately need forgiveness. And repentance just means you do a 180. You stop, you stop making excuses or blame shifting or excusing your sin and you acknowledge it and you turn toward God because you're not going towards God. We don't naturally have an inclination towards God. In fact, scriptures says we have an inclination away from God. And you know that because you know that if you didn't get yourself to the place of saying, God, I want to be with you and I want to walk with you on a regular day and renew that commitment on a regular basis. If you just let that slide, it's just like any other relationship. You would find it going away from you. You wouldn't get closer. So repentance means that you own your sin. That you acknowledge that you can't save yourself. That you're in deeper than you thought. That it's more than you can handle. That you need a hand. And you realize that Jesus is the only one who can give you a hand. He's the only one that can take away your sin. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he's your only hope. And, and what Peter is saying to his audience is, the one you thought was the enemy was really the Savior. The one who, who you thought was, was, was out there is the only one who can bring you that time of refreshing do you remember the story of John chapter 4 the woman at the well and Jesus says to her I can give you living water that will bring refreshing to your soul right he says to the man the, the, the Nicodemus said in John chapter 3 I, I you need to be born again you need to have this new spiritual birth what is he talking about He's talking about having this new refreshing, this new life, this new spirit that sets a man free physically, but also, and this is the point of the story of chapter 3, this man was set free physically, but Jesus is talking about being set spiritually that the time of refreshing that everyone needs, whether we're physically well or we're not well, is we need to know that we're at peace with God. This is my beloved son and daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Not because we've done anything to earn it or deserve it, but because Jesus has done it for us. Peter is saying the time of refreshing comes when you're willing to repent. Now you may say, some may say, why doesn't God just get over it? Can't he just let it go? Again, you see that? Is that fickle? I've actually heard people say that. Now, let me give you an illustration. Let's just say that after church, I go, hey, I'm having trouble with my car. Can I go, can you give me a ride home? Yeah. In fact, Matt, I just got a brand new car. I'll give you a ride in my brand new car. I mean, I just got it last night. I got five miles on this new car. And we go out and there's some idiot, no, there's some other person on the road, and they come out of the soccer complex and they run into your brand new car. And I mean, they do some damage. It's not looking good. And they come out and they go, oh, I didn't see you. It's a yellow car. It's big. I don't know how you didn't see me. You were driving crazy. You ran. And I go, you know, that's a mess. That might be totaled. Six miles now you have on it. 
and I say to the driver who is driving reckless, don't worry about it. He doesn't care. It's all right. If, if, if you heard me say that and it was your car, how would you feel at that point? Say, man, I don't mind giving you a ride home, but I think you're going a little too far. Maybe I care a little more than you think I do. Maybe I'm not as forgiving as you. Maybe I'm really angry and upset and offended. Right? And yet, when we sin or we see sin, we say to the one who's been offended, why don't you just get over it? Why don't you just let it go? Why are you being so picky about things? If you're not the one that's been offended, you have no right to tell them how they should respond. This is his world. We are his creatures. We are clay. And when the clay begins to tell the potter, hey, just get over it, we don't understand how our sin is so offensive to a holy God. We just take it for granted. Oh, it's just a little sin. Just a little scratch. Until we come to grips with our sin, we'll never see our need to repent. And if we never repent, we'll never find those times of refreshing that Peter spoke about. Refreshing is for everyone in this audience, everyone online. If you want to have peace with God, if you want to have a refreshing, if you want to know that, that God is still working in, in this world and in your life, maybe not on your timetable, that he can still use crooked sticks like you to draw straight lines. If you want to believe all that and you want to take what we're, we're looking at in our passage and say, I want the Spirit of God to do something in my life. Begin, you begin on your knees and you begin with the repentance. Because real refreshing can only come through your own repentance. And it doesn't mean expand your mind. It means change your mind. It means acknowledge that you have offended a holy God. That he offended him enough that he would have to send his son to be the only cure, the only forgiveness that we all desperately need. And if you don't know that, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how do you do that? Because you may have come out of a tradition where you said, well, all I have to do, what do I do? I mean, I believe in God, and so do the demons. Um, and I go to church. Well, yeah, so did the Pharisees and the scribes. And Okay, so now I'm seeing that maybe it's more than that. Yeah, maybe it is. And, and here's what it comes down to. The Bible says that at the cross, what Jesus did is he stretched his arms out and he says, I give my life to you. It's kind of like a couple's sharing vows. They say, I give my life to you forever. Basically, that's what vows are, right? And so the husband will say it first. Hey, honey, I give my life to you forever. And she goes, oh, that's great. And then he's waiting. And the pastor says, well, will you give your life forever? I don't know. Well, at that point, we got a problem, right? We got a fun wedding to watch, but we got a problem, right? And essentially what Jesus did on the cross is he says, I give my life to you. And the Bible says, whoever repents and calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
shall find that time of refreshing. Do you need that time of refreshing? You may have called upon the Lord a number of years ago and maybe you just need to get to a place where you, you get back to your center and you realize who God is and what he's doing and you call upon him again and you renew that refreshing. But it comes when you acknowledge your sin and you call out to God and you don't treat your sin lightly. You acknowledge it straight out. You don't blame shift. You don't make excuses. You just say, I'm absolutely guilty here, but I want to be forgiven. That's Peter's message to the crowd that day. If you want the times of refreshing, you want to be part of what God is breaking out in his kingdom, you'll find it there. I asked the question when we began, when life gets hard, where do you find relief? The answer is, you go to the cross you find that relief, you find that refreshing through repentance. Would you stand with me and let's close our time. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you love us, that you care for us. And I pray that you take something from this message for each and every one of us, that we would draw some application out for our own life, that we would be different because we have we have been around your word. We pray, Father, that we would enjoy those times of refreshing today and tomorrow and this week, that we would do the hard work of repentance and that we would realize that even though you're not on our timetable, you are still on our side, that though we are a crooked stick, you could still use us to draw straight lines, that... uh, You are working out our history right now. And we want to be actively involved joining you in what you're doing. So maybe all or one of these may be the application for us, but that we would take this and that we would be different people because of it. And for we ask it in Jesus Christ.